Welcome to the Global Research News Hour in the summer. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration paid for by the Center for Research on Globalization and aided by campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands in the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji, Cree, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. I'm your host, Michael Welch. Last month, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization announced that it is expanding its operations. NATO's high readiness force will go from 40,000 troops to 300,000. Canada is now as tightly bound to NATO as ever. This episode of the Global Research News Hour, we host a panel discussion entitled NATO and Global Empire. This talk attempts to deal with where we are headed with this warlike path NATO is putting us on how NATO is now operating not only in North America and Europe, but in Africa, China, and all around the globe, and how this path leads to more wars, colonial violence, and white supremacy. Speakers in this episode on resisting this global NATO, we're joined by Janine Solanke, Danny Haifong, Jibo Subukwe, and Tamara Lawrence. This talk was moderated by Bianca Mujeni who is also director of the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute, which sponsored this event. The Canadian Foreign Policy Institute seeks to bring more transparency concerning the country's diplomatic, aid, intelligence, trade, and military policies abroad. It counters the perception of many Canadians that its foreign policy is benevolent. This discussion took place around Canada Day of this year. We will start into the discussion right away. First up is Janine Solanke. She's an executive member of Mobilization Against War and Occupation and an editorial member of Fire This Time newspaper. She also writes on social justice causes, including Cuba, solidarity, and a variety of anti-war issues. She's based in Vancouver, B.C. So um, I'd like to start just talking a little bit about um, the last maybe 30 years of NATO um, and, and what's, what are we really dealing with here. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, is really sold to the public as a defense organization made up of Western democracies, ensuring safety and security around the world. And until recently, I think some people viewed NATO as just a Cold War relic and didn't give it a second thought. However, NATO is neither of these things. NATO is a military alliance, moving pieces around an imperialist battlefield that is our entire world. With NATO, imperialist countries within, uh, with the United States at the helm are conducting a division of labor for the new era of war and occupation that started with the 2001 invasion and occupation of Afghanistan and continues today. And I think it's important to also discuss why. Um, and I, I think from our analysis is in the response to the deepening financial uh, capitalist, um, uh, capitalist financial and market crisis, the US government and their imperialist allies see no solution other than to gain control of new resources and people to exploit around the world. This kind of global hegemony is too big a task for the United States alone. 
And this immense uh, and far-reaching imperialist military machine needs an infrastructure to work. The overt and covert wars, the coups, the occupations and military, occupation, uh, military operations are not possible without NATO and with it a global network of foreign military bases. According to the United States De uh, Department of Defense website, the US military operates in more than 160 countries um, on all seven continents, uh, except for, uh, well, yeah, on all seven continents and with uh, approximately 4,800 defense, site, um, defense sites uh, and at least 1,000 US foreign military bases. This is all a vital part of NATO's infrastructure with NATO and the U US military bases combined to form a strategic network of deadly military might that wages wars, occupations, provocations all across the globe. As you can see quickly by looking at the NATO and uh, US bases where they're most active, they're encircling and provoking both Russia and China who are part of this new Cold War II key competitors in uh, the US military uh, and imperialist expansion. NATO also uh, demands that its members increase military spending to meet 2% GDP targets, uh, money that could be spent, especially as we've seen in the last couple of years uh, during a time of pandemic on healthcare, on housing, on education, any number of things that people need much more than bullets and bombs. At $1.1 trillion, NATO accounts for 60% of global military spending. Since 2014, the Canadian military has been uh, spending has increased by 70%. And last year, Canada spent $33 billion on the military, which is 15 times more than on the environment and climate change. Uh, recently, Canada's defense minister uh, Anand announced that it will increase by another 70% over the next five years. And while NATO formed in 1949 and Bianca gave an overview of their early years, NATO in the last 30 years has become a dangerous military force and behind many of the bloody imperialist atrocities committed under the auspices of the international community. From the Middle East to Africa, Asia to Latin America, and as we're seeing now in Europe, we're living in a new era of war and occupation. This new era began with the US-NATO invasion of Afghanistan in 2001, which continued with 20 years of brutal occupation and NATO's longest military mission. At the height, NATO had 130,000 troops in Afghanistan, which was a division of labor that allowed the United States to then focus on their war in Iraq. NATO was also engaged in the war in Iraq on training missions under the banner of NATO, uh, which uh, Canada um, was part of with 200, at least 200 that we know of special forces in Iraq for so-called train, advise and assist missions, which were sold to the public as non-combat missions and were proven time and time again to involve more of the assist in combat zones and just a continuation of war and occupation. We can also look to the devastating NATO bombing of Libya in 2011, which left the country which was uh, formerly had the highest living standard in Africa in a complete chaos, which I believe uh, one of my co-speakers, Dejibo, will be speaking about more. 
And it's important also not to forget NATO's debut as a military force uh, starting in the 1990s when NATO intervened in Yugoslavia with numerous military missions culminating in a 78 day bombing campaign in 1999. That brutal and indiscriminate bombing by NATO members devastated Yugoslavia with 14,000 bombs, including deplete, depleted uranium bombs and cluster munitions, which have long lasting destructive impacts. This was a so-called, of course, humanitarian intervention, but that resulted in over 2,000 civilian killed, uh, thousands more injured, and over 200,000 people displaced and forced to leave their homes. Canada also had a role and deployed their 18 CF-18 CF, uh, uh, CF fighter jets responsible for 10% of all the bombs dropped on Yugoslavia. So while recently what we're hearing in mainstream media is the crying of crocodile tears over Ukraine and the claiming that this was, and the very racist claims uh, about um, not being used to war in Europe, that uh, this was the first time since World War II that war had struck so-called civilized Europe, they were very quick to forget the people of Yugoslavia and that this brutal war was carried out by the very same NATO that has provoked the, the war with Russia and Ukraine and is drawing this war out instead of negotiating its end. So before further talking about Ukraine today, which is of course on all of our minds and, and which um, is, uh, is something very important for us to, to discuss and understand, it's important to remember that this war did not start in February, 2022. Between 1990 and 1991, the US made repeated assurances to the former Soviet Union that NATO would not expand eastward. However, NATO has been aggressively expanding even beyond the North Atlantic and now has 30 member states and formal agreements with another 42 countries through various agreements and partnerships. In 2008, NATO announced plans to extend membership to Ukraine and Georgia, in addition to the Baltic states of Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia, which joined NATO in 2004. NATO opposed this continued expansion, uh, or sorry, Russia opposed this continued expansion of NATO with their very legitimate security concerns as it further encircles Russia by NATO's imperialist forces. In 2014, the US staged a, a right-wing coup in Ukraine, placing Ukraine's puppet government firmly in the pocket of the US government and also covertly funding and supporting ultranationalist and neo-Nazi forces. Since then, a rarely reported war has been raging in Ukraine's ethnically Russian Donbass region in Eastern Ukraine with right-wing militias and, and Ukrainian military attacking the region, leading to the deaths of over 14,000 people. NATO's saber rattling continued, further expanding NATO forces right up to the border with Russia. Following the 2016 NATO summit, NATO started rotating four combat battalions of up to 1,000 troops each from Canada, Germany, and the U United Kingdom and United States in Poland and the Baltic states of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. At that time, NATO also announced the US-built European Missile uh, Shield Defense System, not really a, field, not really a defense, uh, but a very provocative mo move um, that had Russia in its targets. 
So this extensive timeline that I've tried to condense uh, and sum up um, brings us to the current war in Ukraine. Instead of minimizing casualties and negotiating with Russia regarding their legitimate security concerns, NATO and their member countries, including Canada, have dragged this war out, have supplied Ukraine with weapons, have demonized Russia and conveniently glossed over the decades of provocations leading to this war, capitalizing on the fear-mongering and turning victims into propaganda pieces to further expand NATO, as we've seen from this last weekend in the NATO summit. So in last weekend's NATO summit in Madrid, Spain, NATO doubled, doubled down on their dangerous expansion. NATO announced that they will increase their uh, rapid re reaction force nearly eightfold from 40,000 to 300,000 troops. Part of this will include the, the 3,400 Canadian troops previously promised in March, including Canada's Army, Air and Naval Forces. Another announcement from the NATO summit was the invitation to NATO of two previously neutral countries, Finland, which shares a 1,300 kilometer border with Russia and Sweden. The danger that NATO threatens for oppressed people around the world is becoming more and more apparent and opposition to NATO is growing as we are all here today to discuss. Despite them using the war in Ukraine to try and sell their farce of being a force of security, this kind of military buildup has nothing to do with defense. You don't build up a military force like this just to sit there in case. It's, a, it's built to attack, it's built for offense. And the people of former Yugoslavia, Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, and many other people know that far too well. So on June 29th and 30th, um, NATO, sorry, actually, yes, on, on June 29th and 30th, NATO held a summit in Madrid, Spain, at this very critical time when NATO's war machine is reaching unprecedented new levels. This was met with events and demonstrations and a, a huge demonstration with thousands of people protesting in Madrid and across Europe and other parts of the world too. Here in Canada, the Canada Peace and Justice Network called for days of action from June 24th to 30th. And uh, I also wanna just say uh, as a side note, uh, the Canada Peace and Justice Network is a, a network that came together in uh, 2020 um, and includes both individual members, organizational members, uh, including the organization I'm here representing, Mobilization Against War and Occupation, MAWO, and many others from across Canada. We're united and committed to working together on anti-war, peace, and environmental, uh, international solidarity, decolonization, and other social justice causes. And we encourage people who are not involved uh, to join us and to uh, build the anti-war movement across Canada with us. For this Canada-wide uh, days of action, groups united on the demands of stop the weapons, stop the war, stop NATO, um, held protests at federal and legislative buildings, MP offices, city halls, uh, CBC News offices, busy downtown centers, and importantly at the offices of uh, Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christia Freeland, uh, Minister of Defense Anita Anand, and the Prime Minister's office and the U.S. Embassy. 
Uh, we were protesting uh, up until today in cities uh, like Victoria, Vancouver, Nanaimo, Regina, uh, Regina uh, Winnipeg, Hollywood, Hamilton, Montreal, Calgary, um, <laughs> Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Waterloo, Oakville, and Ottawa, cities small and large. Um, and from these important actions, a new campaign to demand Canada out of NATO is launching, which I believe tomorrow we'll be speaking about. Peace-loving people around the world must build a stronger and more united global movement against NATO. Imperialist countries are united in NATO and know no borders. For us in the anti-war and peace movement, we must work together. We must build a united anti-war movement across borders to dismantle NATO, close all US NATO military bases around the world, and stop the deadly imperialist war machine in its tracks. Here in, NATO, in Canada, this starts with the campaign for Canada out of NATO. Next up in the discussion was Danny Haifong. Danny is a contributor to the Black Agenda Report and co-editor of Friends of Socialist China. He hosts a YouTube show, The Soft Lens. His work can be followed on Twitter at Spirit of Ho and on Telegram at the Haifong Press. This is Danny Haifong. Uh, this year's NATO summit took place and is taking place amid this geopolitical seismic wave that's crashing upon Eurasia right now, which is Russia's special military operation in Ukraine. Contrary to the musings of the U.S. foreign policy establishment and its loyal servants in the West, NATO is not a defensive institution, but rather the root cause of this dangerous confrontation developing between the United States and Russia. NATO provoked Russia to intervene in Ukraine by sponsoring a right-wing coup in 2014 and then facilitating a regime of ethnic cleansing in the Donbass region for the next eight years, all the way up until today. NATO is now prolonging the special military operation in Ukraine through massive military aid packages and economic sanctions. True to imperialism, NATO has no intention of stopping with Ukraine, and that's why China has become a focus. Not only does the military alliance have plans to expand further into Eurasia to provoke Russia, but it has set its sights on China and the Asia-Pacific region. NATO's ambitions are nothing more than an extension of U.S. foreign policy objectives. The primary objective of U.S. imperialism at this moment in history is the containment of China, which is really just a euphemism for war. While U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has denied any intention of creating a quote-unquote Asian NATO, U.S. and NATO actions really do say otherwise. NATO invited Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and South Korea to this year's summit. NATO has also announced in its NATO 2030 quote-unquote initiative that the strategic concept which has been deliberated at this summit will have a heavy focus on the so-called threats posed by China. I think the document called China malicious. Beyond the summit, the United States has led the way in developing military and political alliances that mirror NATO. In 2020, the Trump administration revived the quadrilateral security dialogue known as the Quad to bring India, Japan, and Australia further into the anti-China fold. 
However, members of the Quad are careful not to engage in a united military pact, so the Biden administration was compelled to launch AUKUS in 2021, a mini-Asian NATO. AUKUS brings the United States, the United Kingdom, and Australia into a military alliance which promises to equip Australia with nuclear-powered submarines and encourage Australia to increase its military spending to satisfy these imperialist partners, all in the name of countering the so-called China threat. On June 24th, the U.S. announced the formation of the Partners in Blue in the Blue Pacific initiative with New Zealand, Australia, and the U.K. in an obvious response to China's recent security agreement with the Solomon Islands. The U.S.'s emphasis on building up military alliances in the Asia-Pacific against China can be traced back to former President Barack Obama's Pivot to Asia strategy. The Pivot to Asia has since morphed into an Indo-Pacific strategy that has garnered lukewarm results. China's stabilizing economic presence in the region presents a counterweight to the U.S.'s military ambitions. Even the most unfriendly nations in the region toward China, such as Japan, for example, must carefully negotiate between its loyalties to the United States and its need for trade relations with China. For all the talk of an Asian NATO or a stronger U.S.-led military alliance in the region, the U.S. has been forced up until this point to rely on bilateral relationships to forward its aggressive policy toward China. But still, NATO's decision to shift attention on the Pacific and on China is a clear and present threat to world peace. Even the Washington Post-owned foreign policy magazine has warned of a global Cold War arising out of NATO's interest in China. The U.S. government and Northrop Grumman-funded Center for Strategic and International Studies has admitted that NATO is returning to a Cold War posture by targeting Russia and China simultaneously. A better term for this strategy, in my opinion, is full-spectrum dominance. The alliances that the U.S. is attempting to build in the Pacific are nothing more than an extension of a decade-long militaristic posture toward China, which has brought more than half of the U.S.'s military arsenal to the Asia-Pacific region. Now, this brings the question of Taiwan into view, and I think it was important to mention and to talk about Taiwan today, because it's clear to anyone that's paying attention that the U.S. views Taiwan as the single most important flashpoint for its military strategy against China. U.S. President Joe Biden has already approved of four different rep weapons transfers to Taiwan over the course of his 18 months as president. Biden has also verbalized on three different occasions that his administration is committed to defending the island from a so-called invasion from China. These moves are dangerous violations of what's called the status quo on the Taiwan question, established during the tumultuous latter stages of the Cold War. The recognition of the People's Republic of China by the United Nations in 1971 and the normalization of relations between the United States and China in 1979 affirmed Taiwan as a Chinese province under the One China Principle. However, the United States under successive administrations has moved away from the status quo by providing clear political support to separatist forces in legislation such as the Taipei Act, which advocates for Taiwan's 
active participation within prominent international bodies. Furthermore, the United States has increased arms sales to Taiwan in violation of Article 6 of the 1982 Joint Communique between China and the United States, which states the following, quote, having in mind the foregoing statements of both sides, the United States government states that it does not seek to carry out a long-term policy of arms sales to Taiwan, that its arms sales to Taiwan will not exceed either in qualitative or in quantitative terms, the level of those supplied in recent years since the establishment of diplomatic relations between the United States and China, and that it intends to gradually reduce its sale of arms to Taiwan, leading over a period of time to a final resolution, end quote. To get a picture of just how much the United States has violated this specific clause, the U.S. maintains a backlog of weapons transfers to Taiwan worth 14 billion U.S. dollars. And this number is only set to grow with the announcement of 120 million more in assistance to Taiwan's so-called naval forces that happened earlier this month. Taiwan is intimately connected to the U.S.'s overall strategy of developing a NATO-like infrastructure in the Pacific. U.S. military strategists and talking heads have become obsessed with likening Ukraine to Taiwan. Their argument is that Russia's special military operation in Ukraine means that the U.S. must escalate in Taiwan to protect the island from China. The problem with this formulation is twofold. Ukraine is a sovereign country and Taiwan is a province of China. Where the parallel truly resides is that similar to Ukraine, being used as a pawn to forward the NATO encirclement of Russia, Taiwan is being used as a chip in the U.S.'s plans to militarily encircle China. A key country to watch following this year's NATO summit is Japan. Japan's former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe preempted the NATO summit by stating that China should be forced to, quote, give up seizing Taiwan, end quote. Japan currently stations more than 120 U.S. military bases and has already made a commitment to increase military spending and a show of loyalty to the U.S.'s anti-China geopolitical strategy. With South Korea's election of a new pro-U.S. right-wing president and Australia's ridiculously counterproductive policy of hostility toward China, the U.S. is likely going to seek firmer commitments from its so-called allies on the question of Taiwan. The US sees in the Taiwan question both a profitable venture for its defense industry and an opportunity to build the case for war with China. But the US's legitimacy is on the decline and China's prestige in Asia, the Pacific, and the rest of the world is on the rise. The US doesn't merely seek alliances, it needs them. Military encirclement and the host of aggressive policies that the U.S. has deployed against China cannot succeed in isolation if they can succeed at all. The U.S. understands that any conflict with China over Taiwan would require a level of support in the region similar to the servitude demonstrated by Europe against Russia in this special military operation that's occurring right now. Such a pursuit is incredibly reckless for a number of reasons. First, China presents no tangible military threat and in fact makes peace a fundamental priority in the international arena. China has only a single military base abroad 
it has not participated in a military conflict in more than 40 years. Furthermore, while China seeks peaceful resolution to the issue of reunification with Taiwan, it will not tolerate any attempt by the United States to engineer independence or separatism. So-called Taiwan independence is China's red line, just as Russia's red line was NATO expansion into Ukraine and beyond. The U.S.'s provocations in Taiwan thus risk a hot war with China that would inevitably lead to nuclear exchange. A hot war with China would destroy whatever stability exists around the world and create an economic and human catastrophe far greater than what has occurred over the course of Russia's special military operation in Ukraine. Those who dismiss these real and legitimate threats to humanity in favor of xenophobia, yellow peril, and new Cold War talking points are walking in lockstep with the U.S. empire. It is critical that we resist this reactionary defeatism, oppose any and all attempts of the U.S. to form a NATO-like infrastructure in the Pacific, and align ourselves with all global forces, including China, standing on the side of self-determination and peace. You're listening to NATO and Global Empire. It is a presentation by the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute in June of 2022, airing on the Global Research News Hour. The program, funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and aided by CKW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm Michael Welch. The next speaker was Jibo Subukwe. He is on the research and political education team of Black Alliance for Peace. He's also a former Central Committee member of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party who worked with Kwame Toure on the Political Education Committee. It is timely not only because NATO is concluding its meeting in Madrid as we speak, but also AFRICOM, as one of the many arms of NATO, is conducting its yearly military exercises called African Lion on the African continent at this time. Many people um, have already um, talked about the background of NATO, so I won't uh, go into that history. But since I wrote uh, my article in the Black uh, Gender Report back in February entitled NATO and Africa, a relationship of colonial violence and structural white supremacy. Now, as was mentioned before, two more European countries have applied, and as I understand, they will be accepted uh, into NATO. This will increase their membership from the founding 12 in 1949 to now 32 um, with those two new ones. Today, NATO has become a huge global axle in the wheel of the military industrial complex, which includes more than 800 US military bases around the world and bases or relationships with almost all African countries, all controlled by the US empire for the purpose of full spectrum dominance, driven by ferocious appetites of corporate capital. Now, full spectrum dominance means specifically US military control over land, sea, air, and space, which is now the so-called fourth dimension of warfare to quote, protect US interest and investment, unquote. 
quote unquote, protect means guarantee operational freedom. Quote, US interests and investment, unquote, means corporate profits. The late Dr. Walter Rodney accurately described the early foundation of colonial Africa's relationship with NATO, which continues today in his classic book published in 1972 called How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. He said, needless, he said, and I quote, needless to say, in the 1950s, when most Africans were still colonial subjects, they had absolutely no control over the utilization of their soil for militaristic ends. Virtually the whole of North Africa was turned into a sphere of operations for NATO with bases aimed at the Soviet Union. There could have easily developed a nuclear war without African peoples having any knowledge of the matter. The colonial powers actually held military conferences in African cities like Dakar and Nairobi in the early 1950s, inviting the whites of South Africa and Rhodesia and the government of the USA. Time and time again, the evidence points to this cynical use of Africa to buttress capitalism economically and militarily, and therefore in effect forcing Africa to contribute to its own exploitation. Now, I wanna highlight that last sentence that Walter Rodney wrote in 1972, the sentence where he says, quote, forcing Africa to contribute to its own militarization. Now it has done this in several ways, but most importantly by ushering in neo-colonial governments after nominal independence that would do the bidding for the former of the former colonizers. Many of these colonial colonizing countries have been part of the NATO membership since its founding and already had some and they already had some military installations in these countries. The recolonization by way of neocolonialism was largely successful in spite of the fierce resistance by anti-colonial liberation movements and leaders. This class struggle also manifests itself in the OAU, Organization of African Unity, uh, founded in 1963, where there were two contending groups of countries. One group that wanted a continued dependent relationship with the colonizing countries on the one hand, and those that did that did not on the other. Imperialism has always used its strategy of divide and rule to enable the acceptance of the idea of a quote, benevolent NATO. The colonial powers knew that they had to convince and recruit a neo-colonial class of indigenous Africans who would do their bidding. This divide played itself out in the national liberation movements between those who were friendly to imperialist forces and those who wanted real, a real break from colonialism. The, great, the late great Kwame Nkrumah explains in his book, Neocolonialism, The Last Stage of Imperialism, the wide array of methods employed by neocolonialism ranging from economics, politics, religious, ideological and cultural spheres. To do this, NATO works hand in hand with other mechanisms of imperialism like the CIA, which was instrumental in the coup against the Nkrumah government and the murder of Patrice Lumumba. Countries that offered 
organized resistance to colonialism and neocolonialism included, for example, the Portuguese colonies. And Portugal was one of the 12 founding members of NATO. The great freedom fighter of Africa, Amilcar Cabral, called Portugal a, quote, rotten appendage of imperialism. He said, Portugal is the most underdeveloped country in Western Europe. Portugal would never be able to launch three colonial wars in Africa without the help of NATO. The weapons of NATO, the planes of NATO, the bombs of NATO, it would simply be impossible for them, he said, unquote. Cabral goes on to explain that the only reason Portugal was able to hold on to its colonies in Africa is because it had been a semi-colony of Britain itself since 1775, and Britain defended Portugal's interests during the partition of Africa. Furthermore, NATO, a creation of the US, uses Portugal and its colonies as part of the larger objective of domination of Africa and the world. Portugal conducted a vicious war against its colonies in Guinea-Bissau, Cape Verde, Angola, and Mozambique, much like the US did in Vietnam. In both cases, the colonizing powers used the most modern weapons, including napalm and cluster bombing campaigns, killing thousands against guerrilla armies that refused to bow down. The Portuguese dictator Caetano was forced to give up economic interest in Angola to some of the NATO powers in exchange for the NATO armaments and supplies they used. Yet, Portu yet Portugal still lost the war against the heroic anti-colonial forces. The US NATO role in the destruction of Libya in 2011 is important to highlight because it offers some important lessons. First, US imperialism and its Western NATO lackeys do not accept any country that decides to be an independent force outside of its sphere of influence. Secondly, it also demonstrates how NATO can work hand in hand with other US Western dominated world structures like the United Nations. In 2011, the UN Resolution 1973 gave political authorization for a no-fly zone and a blockade of Libya to purportedly, quote unquote, protect the citizens. You know, they always want to protect somebody, which ultimately resulted in the destruction of Africa's most prosperous country, a country with the highest human develop development index on the continent. The United States-led NATO forces launched a bombing, bombing campaign that killed tens of thousands of civilians and tens of billions of property and infrastructure damage. This shows how, although US-led NATO sometimes uses the United Nations for political cover, it has no problem illegally overstepping its UN mandate to commit its crimes against humanity and achieve its regime change goals. Indirect and direct cooperation between NATO, the UN, the AU, and the Arab League shows the expansive and deeply woven web of the US and NATO reach. In the book called The Illegal War on Libya, edited by Cynthia McKinney, it includes a chapter titled NATO's Libya War, a Nuremberg-level crime, in which Stephen Ledman writes, quote, 
the US-led NATO war on Libya will be remembered as one of history's greatest crimes, violating the letter and the spirit of international law. In a just world, the US Obama administration's destruction of Libya in 2011 and the ongoing humanitarian crisis would be, a, a, would be prosecuted as a war crime. The US, the, sorry, the, the Democratic Republic of Congo has the highest death rate of all with some 6 million people killed when Uganda and Rwanda, US proxies invaded that country in 1996 all to ensure the uninterrupted plunder of Africa's strategic raw minerals, such as cobalt, tantalum, chromium, coltan, uranium, etc. These minerals are strategically important, not only for cell phones, but also for the technologies that drive the military industrial complex. Those mentioned here are, about, are but a small sampling of NATO's AFRICOM's bloody works in, in Africa's past. And, on, and are ongoing. To understand some of the extensions of NATO, we have to understand the relationship between NATO and AFRICOM. AFRICOM is actually a direct product of NATO by, via UCOM, which is the US European Command, because UCOM is a central part of NATO and UCOM originally also took responsibility for 42 African states. In 2003, NATO started expanding. Four years later, in 2007, the UCOM commander, James L. Jones, who was also commander of operational forces of NATO, proposed the creation of AFRICOM. AFRICOM continues to operate under the guise of quote unquote training and quote humanitarian peacekeeping assistance. Jihadist terrorist violence on the African continent has increased since the founding of AFRICOM and NATO's destruction of Libya, resulting in civilian cas casualties and instability, which the West has used as a pretext and justification for the continued need for AFRICOM. As the Black Alliance for Peace's AFRICOM Watch Bulletin reported, since the founding of AFRICOM, there has also been an increase in coups by AFRICOM trained soldiers. Consistent with what Nkrumah and Rodney and others have warned of in the 60s and the 70s, NATO continues today in the form of AFRICOM facilitating wars, instability, and the corporate pillage of Africa. This hypocrisy also explains why 17 African nations abstained from the March 2nd 2022 United Nations resolution condemning Russia and one Eritrea voted no. Their experience with NATO and AFRICOM ensure skepticism of self-proclaimed noble motives. The US NATO death toll inflicted on the African continent makes any claim of concern for human rights hypocritical. The Black Alliance of Peace calls for the dismantling of NATO, AFRICOM and all imperialist structures. Africa and the rest of the world cannot be free until all people have the right of sovereignty and the right of right to live free of domination. Every year in October, the Black Alliance of Peace organizes the International Month of Action Against AFRICOM, which aims to raise the public, public's awareness about the US military's existence in Africa and how the presence 
of U.S. forces exacerbates violence and instability throughout the continent. The Black Alliance for Peace also stands against the growing influence and power of Southcom and the ever increasing militarization of the Americas. For more information, uh, you can go to the Black Alliance for Peace website, which is blackallianceforpeaceoneword.com. No compromise, no retreat. Thank you very much for inviting me. Completing the conversation, the panel was finally joined by Tamara Lawrence. Tamara Lawrence is a PhD candidate at the Balsillie School for International Affairs. She's a member of Canadian Voice of Women for Peace, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, the Canadian Pugwash Group, and the No to NATO Network. She's also on the International Advisory Council of World Beyond War and the Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Power in Space. Here is Tamara Lawrence. We are taking on NATO, a military alliance of 30 wealthy Western countries with the biggest armies and the biggest surveillance systems and a combined military budget of $1.1 trillion. And we are going to dismantle it. In fact, the dismantling of NATO has already begun. The dismantling is well underway, despite the fact that NATO is expanding and acquiring new members. The collapse of the alliance is coming from the cracks in the foundation that we are making by our grassroots resistance, from our protests, rallies, marches, petitions, webinars, letters, articles, and our demos and our disruptions. We are challenging the false claims that NATO protects our democracy, our sovereignty, and our freedom, as well described by Janine, Danny, and uh, Jibo. These cracks are going to get bigger and deeper, and we are going to topple NATO. 14 years ago, in 2008, 650 organizations from over 30 countries signed the Stuttgart Appeal against the Transatlantic Alliance, and they formed the No to War, No to NATO uh, network. A few months later, in 2009, the network organized a massive protest outside the NATO summit in Strasbourg. Over the past decade, the network has been working hard and growing. This past weekend, the No to War, No to NATO network helped to organize the biggest rally against the alliance ever in Europe. On Sunday in Madrid, there were over 30,000 people on the streets with signs, Cumbre por la Paz, OTAN No, Summit for Peace, No to NATO. In the United Kingdom, in the United Kingdom on Saturday, there were dozens and dozens of rallies across the country, stop the war in Ukraine, stop NATO. And there was a big protest outside of Whitehall, the British Ministry of Defense in London. And this was organized by Stop the War Coalition. And in Sweden and in Finland, people were on the streets trying to stop their countries from joining the alliance and trying to preserve their neutrality. Around the world this past weekend, there was a 24-hour global peace wave, yes to cooperation, no to militarization, and it was a direct challenge to NATO. 
Across Canada, as Janine described, there were 15 rallies from uh, Victoria um, to Halifax. The Halifax action is happening this weekend. And we issued a joint statement and launched a petition. I will put a link in the chat uh, for you to sign it. Please sign this petition. It's directed to our Prime Minister, our Minister of Defence and our Foreign Affairs Minister. So we are building a Canada out of NATO coalition. Three years ago, the Canadian Voice of Women for Peace launched a campaign, Feminists Against Militarism, Women to Say No to NATO. And we protested every month outside the NATO Association of Canada office in downtown um, Toronto, because we know that NATO is sab sabotaging the women, peace and security ad agenda. Science for Peace is now going to establish a NATO to neutrality working group to create a space for academic and activist research to challenge the Alliance. Um, and I will put my email in the chat so you can get involved in these uh, coalitions and campaigns. Um, it is through our collective work that more and more people will see that NATO is an organization of Western domination and violence that is causing war and creating insecurity for people everywhere. More and more people will see that NATO, a nuclear armed military alliance that is risking nuclear war, is the greatest obstacle dis for disarmament. More and more people will see that NATO is diverting public resources away from social welfare and environmental protection into bloated military budgets that only enrich generals and arms dealers. Three months ago, Evo Morales, the former president of Bolivia, said, quote, NATO is a danger to world peace, to security. So we are in the task of reaching agreements with social movements, not only in Latin America, but in all continents to eliminate it. If nothing is done against NATO, it will become a permanent threat to humanity, unquote. So we are not alone. The people of Latin America, Europe, and around the world are resisting NATO, and we are part of this international movement. So with courage and solidarity, we must continue this resistance. We must continue to speak out and to stand up. We must challenge and delegitimize NATO wherever we go. It is with our people, power, and persistence that we will create the cracks in the foundation of NATO. And this is how we are going to bring down NATO and we will bring it down. And finally, I want to emphasize that this dismantling is an urgent imperative. Canada and other NATO countries cannot reduce carbon emissions and meet their climate targets under the Paris Agreement by 2030 because of NATO's demand for increased military spending and for more fossil fuel powered weapon systems like fighter jets, warships and tanks, which are only causing the exacerbation of the climate catastrophe. Um, I would like you to I would like to let you know if you haven't heard the announcement that Canada is going to be hosting NATO's Center of Excellence for Climate and Security in Montreal. This is a greenwash and it must be opposed. If Trudeau were serious about the climate emergency, Canada with, with, would withdraw from NATO, demilitarize and decarbonize. As well, the international community cannot achieve the UN Sustainable Development Goals by 2030 with NATO's militarism and military spending. And so it is for a livable planet and for the poor that we have to work together to dismantle NATO. And there are alternatives to the alliance. There is the United United Nations system with all 193 countries. There is a regional organization called the Organizational for Security and Cooperation in Europe that includes all countries of Europe and Russia. There are alternatives. 
Um, I also want to encourage you to check out a new report that was just issued by the International Peace Bureau called Common Security, Our Shared Future. Security is indivisible. We share this fragile earth with China and Russia, and we need to learn to, uh, to live together peacefully and cooperatively. And I will put a link to, the, uh, to this report in the chat. Um, this is in Madrid over the weekend, 30,000 people on the streets, to the evening they were on the streets they were there every single day in brussels at the headquarters of nato they were on their streets no to war no to nato in canada these are some pictures of our protests across the country here's victoria here's vancouver we were uh, on social media as well please follow us on twitter and retweet our posts this is in calgary this is in regina in Winnipeg, this is their fantastic graphics on social media. In Oakville, outside the defense minister's office, no to war, no to NATO. This is in Waterloo, at military spending. And this is in Toronto, in front of the office of our deputy prime minister, Christia Freeland. And this is in Ottawa, in our capital, no to NATO, Canada out of NATO. In Hamilton, in Montreal, and again, on social media, this is a post from the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. And uh, these are our banners and uh, 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 for uh, NATO being a climate criminal. And this is why need, we need to abolish the alliance because it harms the climate and the environment. And th these, this is another example of our social media posts. And we have fact sheets in English and French. NATO is a threat to people in the planet. And I uh, want to invite you to uh, join our book club this summer. We're going to be reading Eve Engler's new important book entitled Standing on Guard for Whom? A People's uh, History of the Canadian Military. There's a lot of really uh, important information about NATO. It's important that, that you read this book and join and discuss uh, it with us. And then finally, I want to just quickly mention that in many of our protests against NATO across the country, we included a call for the cancellation of RIMPAC, the big naval exercise that's taking place uh, right now in the Asia Pacific. It's a naval exercise led by the United States, and it's happening at a time where the United Nations is having its, its ocean conference and saying that we are we have got an, a crisis in our oceans. So it is so important that we dismantle NATO and these other these other structures of, of militarism and domination. I look forward, friends, to continue to work uh, with you. No to NATO, yes to peace. Thanks. The speakers then addressed questions from the general public about the role of NATO in its current dangerous trajectory. Bianca, the moderator, led the discussion with a question relating to funding for NATO in the context of the Russian aggression in Ukraine. Um, I know that you have extensive knowledge about NATO funding, uh, says Gerard. Could you please provide an update about the recent increased expenditures of NATO since Russia's special military operation in Ukraine and the consequent impact the reallocation of funds is having on other priorities? So in 2014, at the NATO summit in Wales, the Allies made a commitment to increase military spending um, uh, by, you know, to the 2% GDP target by 2024. And so uh, military 
combined NATO military spending went up from about 900 billion uh, from about 800 billion dollars to now over 1.1 trillion dollars in, in the past um, eight years, NATO military spending has increased by $350 billion. And in this latest uh, summit, the NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that the NATO 2% target is not a ceiling, but it's a, a floor. And so there is an expectation that all NATO members will not only reach the 2% GDP target, but will exceed it. Now, Canada's military spending right now is $33 billion. That's what we report to NATO. You can see NATO's defense expenditures report that it comes out about four times a year. I'll put a link to the chat and you can see how Canada's military spending has increased from 20 billion dollars in 2014 to now 33 billion dollars um, last year and our defense minister Anita Anand has just announced that in order to try to increase military spending to meet this two percent target Canada's Canada will increase uh, to to uh, by another eight billion dollars um, over the next over the next uh, uh, immediately and then um, try to meet the target over the next five years. So the Parliamentary Budget Office just released a report that said if Canada meets the 2% target, it will mean we are going to increase annual military spending to $51 billion. So another, you, you know, $18 billion over the next uh uh, five years or so. And this is the remember, this is the crucial period that we need a massive investment in climate action to decarbonize. So we cannot be wasting any money in weapon systems and soldiers and in our military. Uh, so, you know, we need to uh, send a, a clear and strong and pu you know public message to our politicians, to our government, to, to reduce military spending and reallocate it to our urgent uh, social and environmental needs. On the Global Research News Hour today, we've been listening to a conversation about NATO and global empire. It was conducted over Zoom by the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute and featured speakers Janine Solanke, Danny Haifong, Jibo Sobukwe, and Tamara Lawrence. It was moderated by Bianca Mujeni, director of the CFPI. To see the full discussion, look for Canadian Foreign Policy Institute on YouTube and look for the topic NATO and Global Empire. This has been the Global Research News Hour in the summer, a collaboration funded by the Centre for Research on Globalization and aided by campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji Cree, Dene, and Dakota the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. Music was from the song Shifting Sands by Purple Planet Music. It can be found at the site purple-planet.com. Our email address is globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I'm the show's host, creator, and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you for listening. Please return next week for more provocative topics at this same time on this same station.